I'm Brody Vincent and you're watching Profession Session. In today's interview, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Tim O'Brien. Have to have a focus and an intention in order to go where you want to go. DBA and professor of strategic marketing and of management. So what's next? I was having success and I looked around, I'm like, I'm not even 30 years old yet. As well as a business owner, father, and a senior VP of business development for a large event marketing company. Full circle, I got back into event marketing. <laughs> in this episode, he'll teach you the many principles that he teaches every week to masters of business administration students, whether it be how to position yourself or your business in the market. Your real value actually means like, what is my superpower? How to network your way to anything, whether it be a free trip to Italy or an incredible new career position or many other things. What is that value exchange that you could give or the reason that they would take their time out for you? And how to navigate the current landscape of social media that he believes needs government regulation. People care more about the opinions of strangers than people who love them. Stay around for a very insightful, action-oriented, and value-driven conversation. Thinking about the value exchange, value for value, opens the door to paths of least resistance as opposed to like the path of most resistance, which is often unfortunate. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. I'm Brody Vinson, and I'm on a mission not only to define professional greatness through the tactics and qualities behind it, but also to help anyone that's trying to achieve professional greatness do it through the lens of others that have achieved it before them. I couldn't be more thankful for everyone that helps me continue along this mission through being able to do this podcast. And if you've ever gotten any value out of it, I ask only two things in return. If you could share it in the same way that you found it with someone else that you think could get value it helps me so much and if you could also just hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet it helps me so much in just securing better and better guests for the show to share more impactful knowledge with you in this pursuit that we're both on for professional greatness so without further ado let's get on to this week's episode yeah so i grew up in michigan um i played basketball it was like my big sport so i played basketball in college and um you know that was like the first portion of my life, um, if you will, the, what started professionally, like my first real job out of college. So I worked for a event marketing firm and our account at the time was Quest Communications. I think they're a telecom company. I think today they're like CenturyLink or something similar. Okay. So basically for like a year and a half, I was living out of a suitcase in hotels with like two to three other people just traveling the country and doing events. So we would set up like a tent, a booth, you know, and more or less like sell out of it and market the company's services, like TV, internet, cell phone, like the whole thing, um, which was so cool because for a couple of reasons, like one, I hadn't really traveled that much. You know, you take like your family vacations to Florida and stuff like that, but you haven't like traveled, traveled. So Usually I got to probably see... hit all the touristy spots. Oh mostly. yeah, like it's like we went to really all over the country um, doing this. So it's like I got way out west. I'm in the Midwest. I'm in central and mountain regions. Like really cool experience, and you're more or less getting paid to do your job. And at the same time, um, I was right out of college, so I didn't have like an apartment. I parked my car in my mom's garage. Wow. Like, so it's like you're just kind of like if you're smart with your money, like storing up money. Yeah. So that was an uh, awesome experience uh, for sure. Um, I realized close to two years in, I was like, wow, this is a lot. Like to imagine just living out a suitcase like straight up, like you're not really going home other than maybe a few days at a time. Um, to get exhausting. A little oh bit, yeah, exhausted, burnout. You're like, do I really? One day you're super happy, the next you're like, do I really want to do this anymore? Um, and then yeah, I got um, an opportunity to interview down here in Orlando for a startup in media, and um, got offered a job. And so I left the suitcase role to slowly go back into the suitcase role later on as like a salesperson, <laughs> but this time on airplanes and so forth. So. That's what got me down here to Orlando. I worked at that startup for like a decade. Um, several years in, I was like, man, uh, this is great. Like, love learning, love the experience. 
but I want to do more. You know, you get that itch kind of every mm-hmm. few years. I'm like, so what's next? And um, I was having success. I was, I had a good income. And I looked around, I'm like, I'm not even 30 years old yet. Like, if I take a step back, I'm going to get like a pay cut if I go work at, you know, one of the theme parks in town or something. And my title is going to change all this. So I actually uh, enrolled in the doctorate program that was just starting at Rollins at Crummer Graduate School of Business. So I got my DBA there in uh, marketing. And uh, that that was the big next step. So after that, I... Um, wanted something new. I got my degree. Let's try something new. Uh, worked in tech. That took me to a large uh, software development company actually based out of Ukraine. So Oh, wow. Yeah, really cool. Got to go there a couple of times, work with folks in Ukraine, Poland, Bulgaria. Spent about two years there. Um, two years working for a VR startup uh, out of Sarasota area. And then that got me to my current role, which is at a company called EventLink that's headquartered in the Detroit area. So full circle, I got back into event marketing. <laughs> <laughs> it was where, always meant where to Where I be. started like 13 years later. Uh, and then in addition to that, where we met, I'm a professor. So uh, I'm not full time in that sense, but I kind of look at it as like a paid hobby, if you will. So I've taught online programs and still do. I've taught at UCF in their MBA program and Rollins College, uh, Crummer Graduate School of Business in their MBA program. Um, so yeah, that's something I really enjoy and I enjoy meeting the students, interacting with the students, most of my students being adult students, um, which is cool. Yeah, so we met basically, I, I was in your strategic marketing management class last semester and the thing that struck me, we talked about this off air a little bit, but the thing that struck me about just how you taught and the the lens you taught through is just how how wide and deep your knowledge went as far as marketing across like all channels, all types of industries. Um, a little context, every class you would have someone kind of zoom in at the beginning that was involved in marketing and strategic marketing management to some degree with some huge company. And we got this really interesting kind of variety through that. How, how did you develop such a a wide and deep knowledge? Do you think, how did, where did that come from? Yeah, I think there's one word I don't like is expert, especially in like marketing or social media. Like it's just so big, right? Like you can't be an expert on every platform and everything. So finding people that know things that you don't know and, are an expert at a particular particular niche is like something I've tried to always apply early on. Like, I don't even need to know everything. I just need that person on my team that knows it. Right. Um, so that's an important piece. How I got into meeting people so much, um, really when I was at, um, you know, the startup here in Orlando, I was on an airplane like every other week. I'm in New York, I'm in LA, I'm in San Francisco meeting with like five appointments a day and really just, developing relationships with uh, people that ended up clients or not end up clients. And um, as you know, folks move around a lot more now than mm-hmm. they did you know, uh, a decade ago even. So folks are in new roles every two to four years, it seems like today. And as those that movement happens, you're meeting new people as well. So um, yeah, I think keeping that relationship's important though, like once you establish it, even if um, you move into a new industry, if there's people that you like working with, like stay in touch and it's pretty easy to stay in touch, right? Like we have social media, we have LinkedIn, we have emails, we have text message, like, but take the two minutes to even send that note, like one week a year or something that's like, hey, uh, how are things going? Even if they're not your client or you're not working with them professionally today. Just check in here. Yeah, especially if you like them. Like, it's like most of your clients you're actually going to like or people you work with. So, I want to talk about relationship building a little bit more because that seems kind of like a key to the success that you've had to a certain degree. What are some ways that you think your relationship building has changed over the years for the better? And how can that help? Yeah, I think, um, so interestingly enough, like my dissertation, I really focused on social influence principles and understanding why we gravitate towards certain people and also how to use those principles for your own success and business success and personal success and so forth. But, um, you know, 
I think over the years what I realized, and I know we chatted briefly about this, like networking, I think there's like a misconception on that. Like we all learn networking and we instantly go to networking as like, gosh, it's this big room at like a conference where there's hundreds of people. Some people have cocktails or whatever. And like that mixer is our networking. And that does still somewhat exist, right? But um, it doesn't have to be that. You shouldn't be... And if you're in that situation, you shouldn't be intimidated by that because everybody's in that situation. So go there, try to make like one or two contacts out of that in the sense of like, hey, I met this great guy or met this great girl. Here's what she does. Here's how we could do something together forward. And maybe that's like being on their podcast or whatever it is like that can start that relationship. Um, I learned pretty quick, especially being in sales. I was like, if I'm gonna be any good at this or successful at this, like I need to make these relationships. I need to make genuine relationships. And if you have like good products, generally there's enough relationships out there because you're not gonna vibe with everybody. Like Mm -hmm. everybody's not gonna like you, you're not gonna like everybody. But um, finding the people that you have that common ground with and starting a business relationship, but also leads to a personal relationship or a friendship or, um, you know, that that's pretty unique for sure. So that's kind of like in the physical sense when we're face to face, like, what do we do? Uh, How does this work? Yeah, I think there's (laughs) such a fear behind those networking events because people haven't done them and you you just imagine it being this thing where you have to meet everyone and you have to like connect with everyone. But yeah. And it's like, um, I would say more people are introverted today or feel that way. Um, I'm for the most part, pretty introverted. I can turn it on when Hmm. needed, but also you can kind of have to like force yourself. It's easy to stay at home and like turn on Netflix and, Uh, But the reality is it's like the other day my neighbor was having a party and uh, most of my neighbors are older than me by 10 to 30 years. (laughs) But it's like, you know, I know that there's going to be like 20 some people over there and I just got to pop in for an hour or two and like have fun. Like I get to drink, eat, meet people, have conversations and you never know what's going to come from that. Like there's no agenda to that. Like but the reality is, is you're going to ask personal questions. You're going to get to know each other. Uh, maybe down the the road something does happen from that but I think people need to like it's not even putting themselves out there it's like walk across the street for a couple hours have some fun and you never know where where that'll go just from meeting that one person I think this ties in perfectly to the value exercise I want to get into that a little bit because I think this comes into play really well and kind of I think it's a, a strong principle of being able to network properly. Could you give a little bit of background on this to just context wise? This is something that you had us go over in class that I that really stuck with me and I resonated with a lot. Sure. So I would say probably seven, eight years into my professional career, if you will, um, just meeting all these people and going to these places, I started realizing like how interconnected folks were. Um, And then social media, particularly LinkedIn, I think pointed that out further. Um, If you look at LinkedIn and if you're on it regularly, semi-regularly, you'll realize like you're generally uh, one person or two persons removed from anybody. So very rarely on LinkedIn will it say like the third connection. Like Mm -hmm. now it's we're all second degrees away from everybody. So that means you know a person that knows a person that may know the Pope or you know mm-hmm. a person that knows a person that knows the president. And the reality is like you do. Like if if I, I'm Catholic, most likely my priest at my place knows somebody that knows the Pope or he may know him himself. Um, so if that's your goal to like meet the Pope, if you will, um, what do you wanna do? Like, how do you wanna get there? Cause the Pope's not just gonna take the meeting because Brody, my friend knows the Pope and hey, I want you to meet this guy. Like. The Pope's a pretty busy guy. Lots of yeah. people want to meet him and be blessed by him, right? He's got quite a list of people who want to be Yeah, him. <laughs> so then it's kind of like what is that value exchange that you could give the Pope or the reason that they would take their time out for you? So maybe it is something to do with your charity or um, a, an idea that you have could help grow the parishioner base or something. Um, what is that hook? So that's a big piece of it. I think the other piece of the value side of stuff is, and why I looked at that, 
is a lot of folks know the value of an item, right? So let's say we go to uh, 7-Eleven and we want to buy a Coca-Cola. I don't know what's about uh, 20 ounces around two bucks, probably something mm-hmm. like two and a quarter today. Like we know that value. Um, we know value of products really well so that if we go to that same Coke and we're at a theme park and that Coke's all of a sudden $6, we kind of go, yeah. ah, cause it's like, gosh, um, you know, that's not what we're used to, but we don't put value on ourselves in the sense of like, what is our real skill set? Like what, what can I bring to the table? And a lot of times we're used to in an interview answering those questions like, you know, who are you? Or, or like, what are your three strengths? And we'll say, oh, we're hardworking or I'm persistent or this and that. But it's further than that. Like your real value actually means like, what can I do for this company? Or what do I bring to the table that nobody else can do? Like, what is my superpower? And I realized, and I actually had a mentor pointed out to me, they're like, Tim, your real power is like, not that you just have connections, but you know when to like pull those people into the mix. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, I know Brody and he does this and he can do, you guys can do this together and have success together. Like you guys should connect. Or I know this person and I need them for this job right now to make this deal happen or this opportunity. And you guys are both making an exchange where it's like mutually beneficial. So that's where the value for value piece, but that was when I really realized like my value that I bring to the table is my connections, but also like how to bring those into the ta- into the mix where I'm grabbing the right tool to build this thing. And that tool is often a person <laughs> that yeah. we're using. And it doesn't work if that person doesn't like you, enjoy you, know that you're credible, know that you have integrity, all the above, right? And that comes from the relationship that you've built. Over years, it could be days, it could be years, it could be one project that you did together. It could be because you said like, hey, Tim's a good guy, like you should connect with him, like I vouch for him. Like there's different ways that that comes into play, but that's that's just it. Like what is your own value? And then how do I use that to kind of get where I wanna go? For a young person, maybe first entering the career market or early on in it, how do you identify that value in yourself or like identify maybe the sprouts of that value and start to build on that and really expand on that? Yeah, it's hard um, to be honest because the reality is people are like, how do you, I don't feel as a person like, it seems like you're always improving, always growing. I always say like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) It feels like you're like, you know, you're planning, but things change, right? I think for young people, especially as a professor, like folks come to me and they're like, hey, can you help me um, with a career? Like, I know you know a lot of people and uh, I always say like, well, what do you want to do um, specifically? Like, and it doesn't have to be exact, but like, what do you want to do? Is there an industry that you want to work in? What market do you want to work in? Do you want to work remotely? Do you want to work in New York City? Are there any markets you wouldn't work in? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a dream company that you want to work with? And I'll say, to be honest, like the person that's coming up can't answer even generally one of those three. So it's like, start off with that. And then I say, come back to me with that. If they come back to me, I know that they're serious about it, right? They're serious about their search and their efforts and wanting me to help. And, um, you know, some come back, some don't. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where you have to start. Like you have to have a focus and an intention in order to go where you want to go. And it's not going to be your dream job. Like, I'm not saying, hey, I want to be the CEO of Disney. Um, that's great. But, like, where are we that's starting? That's stiff competition. Yeah, where are we Iger. starting? Because that last time I checked, Disney is not hiring 25-year-old CEOs at the yeah. moment. So where do we start and then go from there? And then I can help with introductions. Especially, like, if I can vouch for you, if I know you enough as a student, um, and, and the work that you put in and your capabilities, then we can go from there. So it's yeah. really refining, focus, have intention, and then let's let's aim for that thing and go for it. And I always say, like, try to get somewhere between, like, three to five, like, here's where I want to go. Because if the net's 15, it's still too big. 15 years versus three to five F- years? 15, like, 
companies or 15 uh, positions. Okay. Yeah, like we really yeah. got to refine it and be focused. I think that's a good point because you, it's so easy to get paralysis by analysis in the world that we live in. I mean, you go on LinkedIn and they're like, you were, we were talking about this, I think, off air. You, there's so many just easy apply options and a yeah. lot of people will just go straight for that just and click, just click, apply click. for like 200 jobs and just <laughs> hope that one of them catches. And, right. And you realize, especially this happens more as your career goes on, like recruiters will find you because of your LinkedIn profile, because of your skill set, because it's refined. Like they mm -hmm. found you via the tools because you have the exact skill set they're looking for. Uh, so you kind of have to reverse it. If you're going out and marking yourself, like I need to refine myself and my skill set and then get it out there. But that's how recruiters refine you. They're doing mm -hmm. what... What we just said with the tools on LinkedIn to find that person. And, you know, if you're lucky enough, they land on you if that's the opportunity that fits. Yeah, I, I talked to um, kind of a recruiter coach recently, and he said you want to really reach out to recruiters and ask what they're looking for, too. And a lot of times I think if you're very intentional about that kind of thing, it, it, you can kind of almost reverse engineer like how to get the job you want. I mean, sure. if you have a particular job that you want, you could go look and see exactly what it takes and then customize your resume to that or fill in the gaps that you don't have if there's a skill that you need. Yeah, and going back to the networking piece, like there's a lot of value, especially if you're an alumni of a particular school, there's value in networking with alumni. Um, you know, it depends on the school too, like the quality of alumni in terms mm -hmm. of like the overall six level of success. Like some, you know, Harvard's going to have higher up executives than maybe a community college, right? So that all comes into play. But those are pieces of value. It's like, well, how do I use this little tool here? Because I have that degree and they have that degree. And maybe they were on the basketball team or the football team. And I played on the football team too, even though they're 20 years older than me. Like there's all these social influence principles they're like common denominators that'll like help you go to where you want to go but again it's like that intention it's all bringing back in the intention of like here's the game plan here's the strategy to do this i think um i think this is an interesting pivot to marketing too because you mentioned marketing yourself and obviously i was in your marketing class i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about just marketing principles in general kind of coming off of this what are Maybe like the top three just overall principles. That's an incredibly <laughs> broad question. Yeah. So we could go more specific if that helps. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, marketing, I think a lot of us are obviously more aware of like how products are marketed, why I'm getting targeted. Like we're just more aware today than when I was in college and, you know, we're learning out of textbooks and so forth. Um, the biggest thing I think is like, especially when starting a company, um, people have, they don't know what their core like value proposition is often, like answering two questions like, why would a customer come here? Would they be willing to pay for this service? Would I myself pay for this service? And if mm -hmm. you yourself want it, then probably nobody else will, right? Yeah. So that that's the biggest thing is like, I call it the mirror check, like looking in the mirror, would I pay this? Would I respond to this ad? that's you know things that we're missing a lot still like even big brands miss that with all the agencies and all the people they have working for them like they still miss you know they swing and they miss but that's the biggest one that i would say to start like what is your value proposition as a business as a product um, you got to start there and really like hone in on it i want to talk about social media as well i think i think that there's a whole nother layer to that now because obviously we were talking a little bit off air about how things have evolved during your career and social media has become a huge part of that. You talked a little bit about how you teach different social media principles in one of your classes now. How has social media changed that over the course of your career and what are things that people need to be aware of? Yeah, I think we're at an inflection point now where brands are making adjustment, right? Like it happen where we're buying ads or placing ads on Facebook and Instagram and so forth and paying for those paid media posts. And then you have the influencer wave that, you know, has lasted several years now. And it seems to be like going through a rephase, which is focused more on um, smaller influencers at times than the big, big, big celebrity type names like true celebrities. 
So that's interesting. And then I think the third wave's coming where it's like people are being a little more honest around like, I can't just market any product because the product has, people are gonna find out yeah. if the product's actually good or no good. So that like de-influencing or being, I would just call it being honest about products, um, regardless if you're being paid or non-paid for them is like the next big thing. But all of us as a society, I see, we're getting better at spotting what's real, what's fake, and then what does that mean for us as individuals? Um, the other thing I brought up in class that I think is important, like we're still not talking enough about like the mental health around social media, um, no, you know, for, for adults for one, but most certainly for youth and like what does that look like? And um, you know, to be honest, personally, it's like there needs to be a Surgeon General's warning on this stuff. Like we have it on cigarettes for, you know, you got to be 18 years old to buy it. You got to be 21 years old to drink alcohol. Like there's no Surgeon General's warning on this stuff. And I think that's that's an oversight right now that I'm highly concerned about as a parent of three. Like my kids won't be touching it anytime soon. That's for sure. I wanted to go that direction, actually. <laughs> I, I thought that was interesting. And I remember this being like a huge debate that we got into, not debate, but like this huge talk that we got into one class where like the whole class was chiming in with like different perspectives around this. Sure. I think that's a really interesting point that the surgeon's general point that you made. I think, I mean, it, there's so much unknown around it right now. And I yeah. think the government struggles to keep up. Is that something that you see happening in the future? Do you think that's possible? It's gonna happen. It's probably just like anything else. I think for it to move, something bad, very bad has to happen. And bad mm. things have happened, right? Like yeah. there's things that you can correlate that started on social media to mass shootings, school shootings, like bullying, sure. other things like that. I think the biggest thing, like if you can simplify it the most, the one thing I would say is, especially to parents, I do two things. One, it, make a list of the pros and cons of my 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 16-year-old beyond social media. The reality in the pros column, you're probably going to have two to three items. The negative and the cons, would you, I might be able to use this whole yeah. foot here, Brody. Um, that's one thing. The other thing I would say is what's changed um, so much is youth people in general but most certainly youth like you don't want to care about the opinion of people you of strangers more than you care about the opinion of your best friends your parents your siblings people that actually genuinely love you and care about you so i was raised you know the one of your first principles is don't talk to strangers like you yeah. don't talk to strangers one of the first thing like look both ways when you cross the street don't talk to strangers now, unfortunately, I think people care more about the opinions of strangers, people they don't know at all, than people who love them. And like that's, if you boil it down, like it's that simple. And that's what's wrong with social media. Why do you give a crap about somebody who knows nothing about you and what they're gonna remark on what, what you have to say? Like, Such a good point. <laughs> it's, it really is. I mean, it's. It's kind of a reality check when you realize that all of a sudden. I have those kinds of moments constantly, actually, just because of this podcast, and I promote it through social media. So I have these moments all the time where I'm like, oh, like this this post is not performing well or this clip didn't do well, and then someone close to me, like an actual person in my life will like give me some compliment or just like be there for me for some other thing, and I'm like, oh, I, things are okay. Like, I... Like I have people in my life that care about me. Yeah. It's, like, it's a reality check. It's grounding. And so that can obviously be hurtful mentally. And then I think the other piece of that is like the shares, the likes, the common. It's like this fake um, sense of success. Uh, well, it's not success. Like you, most of us aren't getting paid because we got a certain amount of likes and shares and comments and so forth. Like that's not success. Like success means that you put in hard work you had emotional response to that hard work and achieved it. Like success doesn't come without work and effort. And social media allows the false feeling of success because of that adrenaline rush of all the likes and so forth. Um, and that's not good. Like success comes with effort, not without effort. 
And I like that definition a lot. <laughs> I, I ask people on the show, how do you define success pretty often, actually? And I've never heard it put quite like that. Yeah. Can you give that one more time? So success only comes with effort. And social media, the falsehood of it is you can have that feeling of success, the adrenaline rush that you get mm-hmm. from it, the dopamine, like actual chemical do- dopamine without effort. So if you think, if you boil that down to you leaving the gym, having a great workout, you're feeling wonderful. Your body feels great. You actually have real dopamine because you've worked out for an hour. Um, Unfortunately, social media gives you that dopamine rush without the effort. And that's why folks, uh, particularly young people, I feel like they're going to be less willing to go out and work and do the things that require the, that real effort to success so take it away like if they if they want to play with it for a little bit at night not in their bed not in their room but certain time periods but you got to get out there you got to have that for you got to have the real dopamine rush not the one that social media uh applies i remember you talking about this particular point and how it was really important for you to instill the ability to find that through hard work for your kids without getting it from social media and i always think it's fascinating that if you talk to people who really understand social media and like and marketing and and anything in that realm i mean you go to the very top and you hear about executives from google or from apple they don't let their kids use social media like the the or like instagram like the social media executives themselves don't really let their kids use social media because they understand that yeah you understand work effort like the reality is too if you really looked as a parent like i watched for this Kids want to be kids. Like, they want to get out and ride bikes. They want to be on the courts. Like, they want to go play on slides in the playground. But it's easy for them to fall in the trap, or it's easy as a busy parent to, you know, just put a tablet or a phone in front of them. So that's the thing. I think what's hard, and as as parents, I would say, this isn't like when we were kids, and I say when we, I know I'm older than you, but... <laughs> You know, w- when you're grown up and it's like, I want a pair of Jordans, mom, like everybody has Jordans and they're $100 or $150, whatever they were, you know, I think that's good. Like that then was, you know, the parent would, that's a big deal. Like you're honoring your kid's work or effort or being a good kid. Like, here's this. Don't confuse that with giving your kids social media. Like those are entirely too different. It's not the same thing. It's not a pair of Jordans. Um, it's not like, and if that means they're not cool, then I guess that's what it is. So what's, what's worth being cool, like, uh, being cool because you're on social and potentially opening yourself to emotional distress and worse, or, you know, I didn't have this and having successful, well-balanced brain in the future. <laughs> yeah. You build a better foundation yeah. that way. Yeah. And I think it's fair to separate social media from marketing and just saying on the social side, youth like you really got to be careful do you think there's a magic number as far as like the age that someone is actually ready to (laughs) embrace that and to handle that kind of that thing yeah i think the age comes with time on the apps like your brain levels out it would seem because we've probably all seen um folks who are older that get on social media for the first time like maybe your uncle or your dad or your grandpa joins facebook and they're having extreme reactions to certain content or sharing content that you were like, geez, I didn't like see that coming sort of thing. So it would seem to be like we all need to learn and level off of like what the reality is. I think there's a learning curve when we get into these systems. Mm -hmm. It's like when I started using TikTok, not necessarily for myself, but to like educate and get into it. Like I saw the structure of it and I was like, oh my gosh, like they're creating this addiction like, how can yeah. I post something? And literally within seconds, hundreds of people have seen it around the world. That's like, that's crazy. not really how, like, an Instagram or Facebook is set up. And that's why I was like, that's why, like, all these young people are so addicted to it. Because it's, like, in that instant fame, that instant dopamine rush that's, like, a thousand people have seen me in seconds. It's like, like a slot machine. Yeah, it's not. That's not normal. Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely I, not. To boil down, that's not normal. <laughs> Do you, I, I mean, we saw... Congress almost, I don't know how close they actually got, but we saw them at least make some kind of attempt at shutting down TikTok 
do you think that that's something that still might happen? Um, I think probably more interesting to see is what state by state is happening on the local level, like in Montana and so forth. Again, I'm actually I don't not updated think, on so, that what happened there. Uh, and I'm not perfect to this, but Montana passed a law that TikTok's no longer allowed in the state. So they're wow. like the first to pass. I don't know how you block it, or I'm sure there's workarounds and so forth, right, yeah. as an individual. But That's um, wild. I th- it would seem to be like they're more focused on you know, that being a Chinese owned company mm-hmm. than like health. Cause you, the same issues would be on really multiple social platforms in terms of like youth health. And that's where I'm more concerned because people are going to say what they want to say and do what they want to do on social, especially if you're an adult, you know, freedom of speech, whatever, go for it. But I think with kids, like that's where my concern is like, what is that age limit? Mm-hmm. And if cigarettes are 18, to me, like <laughs> that's yeah. probably a good starting point. <laughs> it's a, it's so hard to quantify like what the effect is. I think that's where the challenge comes in, and we've seen that the government has a really tough time. I mean, the, if you watch some of the like Congress trials, they couldn't even really define what's going on, and wrap their heads around it. So I, I think it's such a challenge, but yeah, I, I think it has to come from the actual algorithmic things that are going on and has to come from the actual like age restrictions. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully it'll be done um, one day. I don't know what that is, but again, it's, I think like anything else and on the youth side and parenting, like you got to take care of your own home to begin with, like mm-hmm. what that means for you and your own household. I'm not saying that every kid isn't capable of doing this. Maybe there are kids that can, but I think by and large, it's probably not. I've heard more bad stories than good. And I think most parents, if you're like, hey, wouldn't you like it if Jimmy was like hanging out with friends in person more or going to the bowling alley on Friday nights? Like what are like just kids being kids versus the stress of social media? I think the other piece that's missing about it is, you know, it's not like bullying. Perhaps when I was a child, like in school, you're in school. Um, and you could get bullied in school, like 100%. But once you get off the school bus or back into your parents' car, you're at home, you're in your safe space, you're with people, again, that love you. And at least for 12 hours or so, um, you know, or, and on the weekends, you're safe and okay, and that can escape your mind. I think now with social, it just follows you. And, mm-hmm. like, that's what's scary is, like, they can never escape it. They can never get to their safe place. And that's the part that, stinks like that's so those are the pieces that i'm like guys like it's right here and uh you know you got to take matters in your own hands regardless if it's social media or the welfare of your children like don't don't think the government's going to come in and save you in any aspect of your life or politicians like you got to do for yourself first so that's that's what i would recommend so it starts in the home i think I, I'm interested because it starts in the home, obviously, and by extension, I think it starts with the parents kind of figuring out their own use of social media. Could you talk a little bit about the way that you use social media and how that's maybe helped you with this perspective? And Sure. I'm probably an anomaly because, again, it's like I teach digital marketing and social media, so professionally, I have to be on it. We have a small business that I share with my sister-in-law, and with that, we market our business um, I have clients that you know uh, have an aspect of social media and their marketing efforts and so forth. So for professionally, I have to be there. I don't know entirely would I be there if I didn't have to be professionally. I'd like to think that I could just unplug it and be cool with it and probably be a happier person because of it. I think individually, again, people don't stop and think enough about their emotions when they're on it. Like, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you angry? Are you bitter? Like pause as you're scrolling and think mm-hmm. about that and it could be different on different apps um potentially but that would be a big thing of like is this healthy and why should i be on it but yeah i would say the majority of me being on it is curiosity like what are marketers doing what should i be doing like i have to be there professionally um and then secondary to that like i do like getting news and information from it as well like that's where a lot of us start our news journey and then maybe we'll research more like once we see something or hopefully we do mm-hmm. uh, not just read the headline 
but that that would be the other piece. I mean, I, I like keeping in touch with family and friends and so forth, but there's other ways to do that too. <laughs> yeah, there's other ways that are better for yeah, your mental health. That's been around for hundreds of years. Yeah, so. <laughs> could pick up your phone and text or call someone. Correct. Um, I think that it's such a good point. I are there? You kind of mentioned like, what is your mood when you're going on to it? Is that something that you try to actively think about? Like try to limit yourself from going on to it when you're in a certain mood? If you're, I want to say the mood, cause I'm not somebody that's like going to proactively do a rage post or something yeah. like that. I very rarely post to be honest. Um, it's just not like who I am. Like I grew up and I just remember like your parents or my parents telling me like, you know, let your actions speak for you, like not your words. And I think that goes back to playing basketball, like show them on the court, like don't mm. talk trash, like show them what you can do. So I think that's carried into how I use social media. Like I don't post selfies and generally it's like, if I post, it's one of my kids doing something, which probably nobody wants to see anyway. <laughs> but, um, so that's kind of my use. But yeah, I think if you, I know for a fact, like I've seen something that's uh, upset me, angered me, like made me feel bitter or jealous. Like those are the emotions like you don't want. Like why would me opening something make me feel this way? And that's where we have to be conscious of, you know, that's not good. Like, um, if you were just in a good mood before opening that app, like, and you saw something, maybe a friend posted or a piece of news or whatever it was like, that's not good. So <laughs> one thing I've found that's really good is just taking little breaks too. It's just like uh, some of the, the little moments that you wouldn't think would make much of a difference, but have made a huge difference for me is literally just little things. Like if I'm going into a store, just leaving my phone in the car, or just walking in and just being present in the moment. Yeah. Like it's important. to get And out that's that. what I love. It's like between being at the gym and even then you have your headphones in, like you're listening to music, like that's important, like exercising an hour a day or whatever you can get in. Um, I'm on the tennis courts with my daughter, generally like two to three hours a day. Like that's, there's no phone there. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're, she's training. I'm helping her train, like having those breaks. I don't think a lot of people get that opportunity. Like mm -hmm. they're either multi-screening throughout the day or whatever it is. Like, so yeah, I would completely agree. Like figure out what those breaks are for you because you don't need it. Like it does, you don't, <laughs> it'll yeah. still be there. You can come it'll back to it. It'll, all the, the multi-billions of people will still be there. Don't worry. They're not yeah. going anywhere. <laughs> and when emergencies happened a hundred years ago, people still dealt with them and figured Correct. it out. <laughs> yeah. So I hope we're getting to an inflection where folks start learning that. Um, it may be a couple more years. We'll see. It takes time for people to adjust. And often, like you said before, sometimes something bad has to happen yeah. for that to happen. And I always have a student like every semester that's like on no social media and that person's happy. Like, <laughs> like yeah. coincidentally, I'm like, you're smiling. You seem happy. You don't seem stressed. Like there's gotta be some sort of correlation there. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I want to circle back to something else that kind of a different area as well. You mentioned your dissertation earlier and how you did it on social influence principles. And I wanted to talk about the management that you teach too. I think okay. that probably ties in. What are some of the biggest principles of good management or good leadership that you have learned throughout your career or that you teach? Sure. Um, so I know I said earlier, finding people that have the skills that you don't have and putting them on your team. So I think any successful, you know, executive CEO, people who are like dreamed as the golden prize of that, they're going to also say that like they don't, what their weakness is, they want a person with their strength next to them. And that, I think that takes a certain level of like, uh, understanding your own strengths but also being okay, like I don't have to be good at everything and this person isn't going to take my job, they're not going to take or overcome what I'm doing. So that's that's probably the harder piece of that because sometimes folks can get jealous of like, well that person is talented and I don't have that talent. Like. And they're well, no. shining. Yeah, exactly. And taking back to tennis, it's like if you're playing doubles, like you want your partner to have a certain skill that you don't have, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's, that's a big one. Um, 
in terms of like the influence and principles and uh, social influence in general, uh, there's certain pieces that go back to like the value exchange and stuff too. Um, a lot of times folks don't understand like what reciprocation truly means. So, um, you know, there's a labeling, right, of like people trying to move up or social climb or uh, as an opportunist. So that's different from reciprocation, right? Like an opportunist is like take, 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 smash and grab, I'm out of here. Uh, reciprocation is like, okay, this person did something for me. How do I do something for them? And that also is that value exchange. If you learn that principle of reciprocation, you're going to go real far places. Um, and I don't even want to say that it's like saving a favor for later. Mm-hmm. It's like an understood language of business and successful people is like, you did something for me, I'll do something for you. It's almost, um, you know, being like a good Southern person, like welcoming yeah. and reciprocating. And sometimes that's a loss, but the people that go further and make more connections and have more success, it's because they're really good at reciprocating. Um, in business and in their personal life too. I find that those types of people often just lead with providing value to people too, whether they're, whether it seems like it'll bring them any kind of return or not, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but. And it's, and it's believing in that person. Like you said, it's like, I know that person and I know they're going to probably repay this one day. Yeah. Uh, in some way or another, one day could be tomorrow. One day could be 10 years from now, whatever it is. Um, cause you also know the same people that, you know, you may look at the phone once a week. It's like, oh gosh, she's calling again. What does she want this mm-hmm. time? You know, we have those people in our lives, our family, uh, friends, whatever they are. This is not that this is the exact opposite of that, where it's like, we have something. So, um, before we were chatting, I, I said the other day, I was like at my daughter's tennis Academy and the head coach there. Um, I connected him with uh, a tennis equipment manufacturer and I was like, Hey, I know that CEO really well. Like if you're looking for balls, rackets, so forth, like you guys should do a partnership together. Like there's probably an opportunity there. And so they're meeting like this week and it's not like there's anything in it for me. If you pull it back, there probably is in the sense that it's like, well, if they're paying less for balls and strings and rackets out of pocket, that means my daughter's tuition's not going to go up. Yeah. <laughs> like inflation, right? <laughs> so it's like, if you boil it down, like that's probably the quickest return of like, <laughs> well, this will get a lot of money off of their books if they can set up a sponsorship deal. So that's the, the quick return there. But also it's like, he's on the court with my daughter. He already cares a ton. So it's like, this is, he's going to care even more if he thinks I helped him out in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy. And it's like, these are people that I both care about. That's like, you guys should meet up. Like the, there's an opportunity for you both here. And that's, I think like, I guess the win, win, win scenario for everybody. But I think that's a really good example of like, that's how reciprocation works. That's how um, exchanging value works. And then I'm sure it'll, it'll grow from there. I think it's important to be looking for those opportunities, like to be actively looking for them and like, kind of paying attention to opportunities especially early on like this is if this is a new thing for you or you're hearing this kind of the first time because um you know you sometimes you learn through business school or high school or something somebody teaches you about goal setting and this is kind of like the next step of that like you've Mm -hmm. learned how to goal set but like how do i really go places i want to go and how do i integrate people in that process um this is that next step of that So it does take a minute to learn it, but once it's like innate and natural, like you just said, it's starting to become natural for you or has become natural where you're just looking for it all the time involuntarily. That's what it is. Like me sitting there with the tennis coach giving the lesson, like that's involuntary. Like my mind's just become natural to look for it. And it takes time to do, to do that. I think, um, like in class, a lot of times, like I'll point out this value for value exercise. And it's like, think about the things that you'd like to do, like not just professionally, but do you want to go to Italy on vacation? Do you want to run a marathon? And what people do you need to get there? And if somebody says, I want to go to Italy for vacation, but I have to save up money. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yes, that could be one way. 
But the reality is, you know, if we're in a classroom, I'm like, there's 30 people in this classroom. What do you think the odds are that somebody has a house in Italy that they own or somebody's aunt maybe has a house mm-hmm. in Italy that they own and they need a caretaker for a week to watch their dog? Like, that's how you get to Italy without waiting to save $5,000 or $6,000 or whatever it is. And that it can apply to owning homes as one that comes up. Like, we think of, like, the path of... Uh, most resistant sometimes mm-hmm. it's like oh I got to buy a plane ticket I got to get a hotel like that adds up to six thousand dollars or um, I got to go I got to own a home but I'm not I can't buy a home here in the city that I live in or the zip code because it costs too much and I'm like well what about a place where you might want to own a, a, a vacation home or a second home like that could be your first home and then maybe you rent that out until mm-hmm. you get there and you live in an apartment here still but like Sometimes we take things so literally, um, and that's why I think like thinking about the value exchange, value for value, opens the door to non-literal ways, not like uh, paths of least resistance as opposed to like the path of most resistance, which is often unfortunately like what we're marketed. Like do it this way because there's no more profit for the business that's if you true. do it this way. That's so true, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's more profit for the airlines and the hotel companies right. if you spend the $5,000 getting to Italy. Sure, because if, you know, if the entertainment industry had their way, it's like we would all still subscribe to TV and cable through one provider. You know, Netflix came along and disrupted all of that and fragmented all that. But their dream would be, here's the path of most resistance, which is give us the most money with the most profit. And we'll just keep raising it. Yeah, versus new ways come into play. So there's always one, there's always a different path to go. Um, And it may not always be the the easiest. It could be bumpy, but we have to stop and think like there's got to be multiple ways to get to get this done. I love that. Just looking for, I, I think the most successful people do strategically figure out how to find the paths of least resistance. I don't think, I we talked a little bit about this maybe earlier in the podcast, maybe even off air about how it's not just about working hard because not everyone, but most people now that are trying to go somewhere are going to be working really hard, but it's about finding the right things to do. And the more you take the path of least resistance to get something done, the more things you can get done quicker. Sure. Um, there's a misconception of, in my opinion of like the 40 hour work week, like I think that's long gone in the sense that like if you want to achieve higher success or get far ahead, if you're starting from zero, like let's say you don't have a trust fund or somebody helping you out, like you're going to have to work a lot of hours. And, um, you know, there's seven days a week. Like I said, I'm, I'm generally working that much between tennis and everything else going on, but I enjoy it. Like I enjoy keep going and use all that time to get to the places that you want to go. And, um, I was always one that, you know, worked a lot of different jobs and was willing to work multiple jobs, knowing that like the money will help you get ahead and get to the places you want to go. So, you know, uh, again, I think social media sometimes can like push this message of like instant success and, um, you know, I can do it my way or I'm entitled to do it this way. It's like, no, just get out there and work, like get the money, get to the steps that you want to go. But most certainly money will always help you get ahead and then find those additional paths. But, you know, it's not always going to start as like your dream job. I remember in college, like one of the best things for me was I got out from my undergrad and my master's like completely debt free, which was like huge. And I'm not saying that's easy to do today by any means, because it's not. Um, That's a whole other podcast, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But um But my point being is like, if you can do that and work and so forth, um, that opens up more opportunities. If you have money and, you know, take those opportunities, like I still remember to this day and I'm like the least handy person. I can't fix or do anything. Um, I had a friend that's like, hey, we're roofing, we're re-roofing the house this weekend at the house. Like, do you want to help? And I'm like... (laughs) You don't want to give me a hammer or nails. Like, this is dangerous. But I I was literally like, how how much is it paying? It was like $300. I was like, yeah. Like, yeah, I can roof. Like, let's (laughs) do this. And I think that's like the attitude. It's like, there's money there. Like, go get it. Like, Mm -hmm. even if it's 
you know, sacrificing, missing out on a, a party or whatever it is, or a Netflix show, like you got to get out there and do it and put yourself out there. And again, that instance, like I'm talking about it right now, 20 years later, nearly like mm-hmm. I remember being like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I'm going to go roof and I'm going to get this $300. Yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like I never roofed again, but like that $300 was very important at that time. Exactly. It probably just helped you save up and do the next thing you wanted to do. Yeah. It's, um, and I don't want anybody to feel like, uh, I don't like, uh, how would I put this? Like the entitlement around, like I should have success. And it's like, you will get success, but like, have that focus, have that intention, have that hard work, you know, put, put into it and have a plan and like, you will get there, but you're going to have to do other things along the way that are hard. They're difficult. They're not your dream thing that you want to do. But if that goal means that much to you, like those are the things you're going to have to do. One other thing kind of tangential to this that we've kind of hit on a little bit, but I wanted to make sure to make a point of, so we talked a little bit off air about kind of finding value in the opportunities or the, the positions that aren't already your dream job and figuring out how to help that or to make that take you to the next level. I think that's a really interesting point. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I look at like when I worked in software, for instance, I don't know that that was the best role for me per se. Um, I always felt like it was like putting round peg and square hole, right? Where I'm like, I can do this and I can get the job done, but I'm not like great at it. And I'm putting a lot of effort into being just good, mm-hmm. <laughs> not great. It's like, not flowing like mediocre. Completely. Like this is not naturally happening. Um, so that in and of itself was like a learning experience. I'm like, I want to be good at this and this role pays good and so forth. But like, I'm, it's just not happening the way mm-hmm. I want it to happen. It's not natural. So that was a big learning lesson. But even taking away from that, like I made great relationships. I got to go to a country in Eastern Europe and meet awesome new people, awesome new culture and understand like how all that works over there and what their values are as people. Uh, and how they work and so forth. Um, so I got all these good takeaways from uh, the job itself as being like a mediocre feeling. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. there's a lot of friction every day for me to make that effort. And that's why, like that opportunity made me realize like, I gotta get something that I'm really great at, that I'm very passionate about, that comes more naturally, because then you're gonna put all the work in the world into it because you, you like it and or maybe love it and you're good at it. And that's the thing too. It's like we sometimes we get stuck in these positions where like, because we're willing to work so hard, it's sucking a lot out of us because we're just not naturally that great at it and we don't naturally like it or love it that much. So yeah, that, that's that was a learning one for me. I have a couple closing questions I always like to ask on every podcast. And my first one kind of goes back to the entry point of your career. I would say like, getting into that first traveling job that you mentioned that was event-based. If you could travel back in time and just talk to a younger version of yourself, taking the wisdom and the knowledge that you have now, what are a couple things that you would tell them to do different? Um, I was, I think when you go into your first job, you think like you just learned all this business school stuff and education. You watch on TV, what a business person is. I'd say forget about all that, like be yourself. Like don't think of, I need to act like a professional, what my version, cause you don't know what a professional is until you actually become professional. So dropping that, like dropping your guard and just be who you are and work hard and enjoy it versus feeling like you have to act like a boss or you have to act a certain way. I see that happened to me and that happens I think to a lot of people in their first position because they've never worked in an office or in that environment before. So that would be the be one. Yourself. That's, <laughs> it's like go in, be yourself. Don't be the TV version of a business professional. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny that you said you don't know what a professional is yet too, because that's actually my next question. <laughs> is, so the show is called Profession Session, and it's because I really enjoy breaking down what it is the tactics and qualities behind professional greatness, essentially. So my question to you is what does it mean to you personally to be a professional now that maybe you've learned 
a little bit more about what it actually is. Sure. For me, and I'd probably take it to, especially when I start something new, I'll entrench myself in it. Like I have to create, again, going back to the value, I have to create a strategy. I have to create a plan, even knowing that that could pivot, like that model could pivot because you don't know everything up front. So for me, like being professional is really, we have a game plan, we have a strategy, we're going to put this into play, we'll tweak it as we go. And it's come across life, like we're doing it with my daughter's tennis right now, who has very high goals. She's a young lady, you know, now she just turned 10. And so we apply that there and she's into it. She's part of the plan. She understands it. And, you know, that's the biggest piece. It's like, um, because again, working hard, that's relatively easy, but like working smart and hard, you know, that's, that's, that's the, the goal. That's mm-hmm. like the end goal. <laughs> I think that takes really like removing yourself and folk and like looking at it objectively too. Right. For sure. Like it's taking a step back and going, okay, this worked, this didn't work and learning all the way. And when you're doing something relatively new, like, and usually once you get comfortable is probably when you want to do something new anyways. Like if you're super type A, have big goals, like you'll realize one day you're going to work and you're like, I feel comfortable this feels not right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's me. Like, I, I'll be like, I feel comfortable. I got it. What else do I got to do? I should be doing more work. I, I'm not saying that's necessarily healthy. I don't know yeah. if that is or not, but that's just how I activate. So I always want to look in that place of like, um, if I feel a certain level of comfort, I probably need to get to the uncomfort zone or push myself in a little further somewhere. I resonate with that. That's funny. I, the thing that I always think of when I hear someone say something like that is when I first got to UCF for my undergrad, it's a, it's a massive gym, huge school, almost like either just under or just over 70,000 people now. Right. And a lot of commuters, but a lot of people on campus too. And so I got to this gym and I was kind of learning how to work out when I first got to college. And I remember getting into the gym and everyone in there was way bigger than me. And I was like, <laughs> this is awesome. I'm in the right place. Like, this is the place to learn. And right. I think like having that perspective and just like trying to put yourself in uncomfortable situations, if you have big goals is always going to take you further. Yeah. And it, I keep taking back to as a parent, but it's so fun to see kids who are like fearless. You know, I look at my daughter at a tennis match a couple of weekends ago and she played a girl who was much better than her. My daughter just jumped up a division. Uh, this girl was a f- couple years older than her, like was at this point basically a woman, like a professional, like yeah. an athlete, if you will. And my daughter still looks like a child. But you look and like she has no fear. Like she's on the court. You know, she could have, for all intents and purposes, been across from Serena Williams and she would have not had fear. She would have not, she would have given every effort she has. And I think, you know, I looked at that. I'm like, gosh, that's what it's like to be young, just to have like no fear, uninhibited because of just ignorance, like ignorant mm-hmm. bliss, um, no anxiety to it, anything. And it's like, how do I get there? Like, that's really, it's like, how do I get back to the 10 year old that took their bicycle and like jumped off this thing, yeah. knowing, not even thinking about the landing. Like yeah. this is probably the midway through the air. They're like, I'm not going to land this. Thing. Yeah. Like, that was us as kids. And so I think sometimes as adults, like, how do I get back there? And I know through learning, like we learn anxiety and we learn discretion and, um, you know, uh, our risk tolerance. But like that, that for me, I was like, gosh, like the kid can just be there and not worry and that's like now i'm starting to think like how do i be that as an adult like it's yeah, a powerful, powerful yeah, perspective. but it's like how do i pull back and like gosh i want that mindset in everything like fear like i need to know the outcomes and risk and so forth still but like that's that would be the goal like i can do this i can stand there and then have no negative thoughts come into my mind about not being able to do it yeah that's where the biggest growth comes from (laughs) yeah and that's i think as an adult like that's so hard to do but uh you know as a parent like once you get to this stage it's like the next stage of growth where you start seeing yourself and your kids you reflect back to your childhood your parents and things they did like it's just like a whole other world of growth and now i'm like you know in that utopia right now as my daughter turns just turned 10 it's like 
gosh, like now you're reflecting back on all that. And then you bring it back into your personal life. And I love that perspective of being able to learn from anyone too. I mean, here you are, you're, you're an adult, your daughter's 10, you said, and you've learned all this stuff throughout a career, but here you are like looking at this person that's 10 years old as someone that you can learn from and someone that you can take a perspective from. I mean, yeah. I think that's an important perspective to have. And it's again, like, taking what you've learned and try to help them like open up doors. It doesn't mean I'm her coach, but it's like, okay, if you want these goals, which are very lawfully goals, let's figure out how to do this. And a lot of times it's like tuning out noise opinions and it all finding the right people to help you along the way. And I think we've found a lot of the right people. Uh, and that could change in the future, like as you continue to grow, but, um, that's, you know, you bring all this into life. Like it's not just about your profession or your period. Like it's like, okay, now we're, we're setting these principles for, you know, my daughter's goals, um, Mm -hmm. which are cool. And it's not like she knows like the overall (laughs) strategy or why we're doing it this way per se. But yeah, it just going back to what you said, like it becomes kind of second nature and that's just how you move through life. Love that. On that note, anything else that you would want to share with the audience? Any major takeaways? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I guess if you if you have comments about tennis or tennis parenting, <laughs> you, <laughs> you can message Brody and I'll try to get an answer. <laughs> That's, uh, like I said, a big, a big one for me right now. And again, I think, uh, you know, I, I enjoy being a professor. Like, it's not, it doesn't feel like work at all. It feels like I'm in a position where I get to learn. And I also get to pay, get paid while learning as mm-hmm. well and meet new people. So it's kind of like the coolest paid hobby that I've ever had in my life is what I would call it. Um, so people are like, how do you find the time? And it's like, no, like when you like what you're doing and you're trying to do more in life, like all these things build on top of each other. And so I would always say like, if you got time in the day, like go for it. Mm-hmm. But there will be a point where your time is so precious that you really got to put a value on it and understanding what that kind of number, like there's a monetary value to it. There's a time value of taking time away from your family and so forth as well. Um, So when, when you have to start saying no, like that's, that gets tough like that because you want to be able to say yes to every, everything and everyone. But once you have to start saying no, that's another skill set that you kind of have to learn. <laughs> it's a tough one. I'm starting to learn that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but that would be the big thing is like figure out what your value is on your time um, and then start applying that as well when making choices. So a uh, you know, simple, simple example of that would be Hey, I want to I want to do the the bark in my yard and I can do that, but on the weekend does it take more time away from my family if I'm spreading the bark and wood chips in my yard uh, than it does to just pay somebody and I can either spend time with my family or do more work where I get paid and that's something that I've learned in recent years I'm like wait this doesn't make sense for me to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like to work hard, but like this isn't making sense for me to work hard. Well, you had that moment. You had the mindset that got you paid for doing the roofing when you were younger. Right. That was valuable at the right. time, but now that's kind of changed. Yeah. A now bit. I need to pay somebody else to do the roof. Is yeah. the point. So yeah, that's that's something, and I think that that's tough too because uh, you may like kind of like doing that stuff as well so some of those choices where you're like no I got to pull back and I got to spend more time with my family or I got to spend more time on this particular piece of work that I want to get done you can't do everything unfortunately when you start running out of hours and have people in your life that need those hours as well very true well thank you so much for coming on this has been a super insightful conversation (laughs) we got into uh, some cool stuff nice I appreciate it no it's great awesome that's a podcast